Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. 82% of basic science papers that are reported are uh, male only or don't report the sex. That is insane. Insane indeed. From WBZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I am Greta Johnson. Nerdette is a show where we talk to people about their obsessions. People who are scientists and poets, astronauts and adventurers. People who dare to ask big questions and explore the unknown. Our guest this week has spent a lot of time thinking about sex, drugs, and singing ovaries. Her work has focused on trying to figure out two big questions. Why is so much medicine only tested on men? And how does that affect the health of women? Teresa Woodruff has a lab with her name on it at Northwestern University. She's dean of the Northwestern Graduate School. She's founder of the Women's Health Research Institute. She also coined a whole field of study called Oncofertility that studies the intersection of cancer and fertility. Teresa, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you. Glad I to be like here. I feel like you have done all of the things. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. I mean, there's unmet need, and we just kind of step into the middle of it. So yeah, what's Before we go any further, let's set the stage. When Teresa first started asking these big questions, it was the late 80s. She had just finished her Ph.D., and she was looking around for where to be a part of some cutting-edge medical research. Because working with DNA was the cool new thing in designing drugs. So she headed to South San Francisco to a company called Genentech. And they were making some of the first medicines that came from DNA. And so one of the trials was on a drug that is still used today for heart attack and for stroke. It was called TPA. And the first studies that were revealed were on 50,000 men. And so I kind of raised my hand and said, well, that's interesting. You know, where are the women? And they're like, oh, well, don't what worry do about mean? that. We'll, we'll have a trial on that. Don't worry about that. And a couple of years later, there was another trial. There was like the Jissy trial and the Gusto trial. The second one, uh, they said, well, you know, we've got the second trial and it's 50,000 Italian men. And I'm like, we're now even more specific. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, wait men. a second. Italian men do not equal women. Uh, but that was uh, what counted as diversity. And so wow. from that time in the early 90s, I became really interested in understanding why science and medicine really used males as the kind of uh, the vanguard, the the individual that should be tested. And this is not just the the standard, the default. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, you know, why do men represent all of us? And uh, Stephen Colbert has a great line which says, you know, women, if you want to have all those special bumpy bits in front and special plumbing, it comes at a price, ladies. Like, we don't make medicine for you. Yeah. You got to leave the females out. Any scientist knows it's crucial to eliminate extraneous variables like half the global population. And it's, it's very satirical and hilarious at some level, and it's also tragic Real. at, at yeah. another level. And so it goes all the way from medicines uh, all the way down to the earliest of fundamental science, which is where I work, uh, cells and animals all skewed towards male uh, as the uh, standard. I so. got to say, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, especially when I go to the doctor, especially, especially when I go to the OBGYN and just think about like, 
oh, this speculum was not designed by a woman. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, well, Right. That's true. So that's that is part of it, that, in fact, uh, many devices as well yeah. as drugs are not were not invented uh, by women. There are a lot of inventors that are women. Though. Yes. Uh, but it's you know, the thing that I want women to understand is this is beyond OBGYN. This mm-hmm. is about our hearts. This is about our muscles. This is about our livers. I have a great friend uh, whose name is Melina Kibbe, and she's a vascular surgeon, also a great scientist. And she actually studies some drugs that are part of peripheral vascular disease. Hmm. And she and I had lunch one day, and she had this great discovery. And I said, oh, that's great, Melina. I said, is it the same in males and females? She said, oh, no, I, I don't study females. I kill those. I just use the male what? animals. And I'm like, oh, my God. What? We're talking lab animals, not people. <laughs> so this is like one of my best friends in science. So I immediately choked her and held her head down Underwater. under a table until she agreed and gaspingly said, OK, I'll study females. And uh, she tells the story even better than I do. But, uh, you know, about six or eight months later, she came running. Because for her, it was a near-death experience. Yeah, for so, her, yeah. you know, you know, when you're, uh, you know, sometimes you have to really get people's attention. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, she wasn't doing anything necessarily outside the norm. Uh, and she and I actually did a paper because she couldn't believe that, in fact, uh, science was as skewed as this. And we looked back from 1992 when I first was at Genentech raising my hand uh, all the way up until 2015 and asking, you know, is the literature, the papers that are published, are they mostly male or not? And in fact, they had gotten worse from about 62 percent to about 82 percent are male only or don't describe the sex of the animal or cell. And so Melina came running in and said, oh my goodness, you can't believe it. But in fact, this drug, which is actually used, uh, is actually working in a completely different way in the females than the males. And this represented a breakthrough in that field, which she's now funded to study. But it it represented a gap that really uh, has a broad and profound influence on all of our health. Take me back to that moment that you mentioned at the postdoc level when you say, I raised my hand. Mm -hmm. What did that look like? What did that feel like to have to do that? Who were you raising your hand and talking to? Yeah. yeah. So at Genentech, it was, uh, you know, a group of scientists uh, and people who were involved in clinical studies. And and again, it was all folks like Melina, really good, uh, smart people who were making a difference. And, you know, those medicines were hard to develop and they were really the right thing for us to do. But it just was that no one was really considering this as something that mattered. And so what that's meant is there's been an enormous number of adverse events that have occurred. And eight out of 10 drugs, uh, the last eight out of 10 drugs by the FDA that were pulled from market were because of adverse events in women. Mm -hmm. If on average you're studying males, not females, how is it not the case that, in fact, on average, more often there will be adverse events in women. Ambien was put on the market after extensive testing 20 years ago. But just last year, the FDA told women to cut their doses in half because new studies showed they metabolize the active ingredient more slowly than men do. Unfortunately, a lot of those women didn't hear the FDA because they were asleep for some reason. And so I think the key here is to make sure that um, we don't have that going forward. So Ambien, aspirin, all the kinds of things that, you know, we could have avoided if we simply tested in both males and females. And what that's going to lead to, I think, is a revolution of personalized medicine. So you mentioned Ambien and aspirin. Can you list some other drugs that were tested only on men or is that tricky because it really just kind of was all of them? Yeah, it's most of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> There's the answer to that I question. Eighty-two percent yeah. <laughs> of basic sciences and males only, and so that you know Wait, that's just. Will the, you say that again? Yeah, eighty-two percent of basic science papers that are reported are uh, male only or don't report the sex, and so that represents the gap that is now being uh, changed in a in a dramatic way. That is insane. Yeah. We talk about time, temperature, and dose. We just don't talk about sex. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not about equality. It's just we're uncomfortable saying the word sex. You know, why don't we study sex? Uh, And um, we think of that only as either having sex or about some, some description of males and females as being equal or not. And if we could get beyond that, I think, again, we're going to see our kids have far better health than we do because our medicine is really built for all of us. And that's the hope of this kind of science. To your point about personalized medicine, it's that we're all equal, but we're not the same. We're not we're individual. All, we're yeah. individual. So that's yeah. where I think we're headed is to individualized, tailored medicine. We've spent so much time trying to argue that we're equal to men, that yep. we're the same as men, yep. that there is no difference between males and females. You know, we're just as strong. We're just as tough. We're just as smart. Right. It's so interesting to think about how this argument about just inherent biology could fit into that. Well, and we are just as smart. We are just as fit. It's just that our cells differ. Yeah. And so there is no pejorative to say that your cell has a different level of P450 enzymes. It just is that difference. And what that means is that that difference causes Ambien to be cleared from our circulation at a slower pace than males. But if the makers of Ambien actually only study the efficacy in males, that means that women on average are going to have Ambien in their circulation in the morning when they're trying to wake up and get their kids to school. And on our average, are going to drive into more mailboxes than males. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's again, we are equal. There is nothing better or worse about my liver or your liver. Our livers are equal. Uh, but we have to study how they function in a way that uh, values the hormones that they've seen, the, the actual genes that are expressed as a consequence of being in an XX or XY cell, the size differences, those can matter to the function of each of our organs. And I think those things are, are parts of the equation that we just haven't taken into account. So 25 years ago, we had 50,000 Italian men in this prescription drug trial. What about now? What's next? Um, one of the things that is so exciting is Then on January 25th, 2016, we finally got NIH to, in fact, say that all federal funding should, uh, investigators should consider sex as a biological variable. And that's a huge deal. It doesn't say that, in fact, everybody has to compare males and females. It doesn't say that everything has to be powered in that way. It simply says you have to consider it and you have to really report it. Hmm. And that's a real change. And to my students, I say, this is like, you know, we have just bought the Louisiana Purchase and you have this whole new vista in front of you to now go and do a brand new kind of science. Awesome. And, uh, It's really exciting. It's a sea change. 20 years from now, we'll look back and say, January 25th, 2016, there was a before and an after. There was a time when we didn't report and didn't study and a time after. And look at how our health has changed as a consequence. This is a big change for all of the scientific community and all of us who ever end up taking a drug or getting a treatment. And it happened in part because Teresa raised her hand. And, you know, you can raise your hand, too. When you're at the doctor's office, ask if a drug that you're going to be prescribed has been tested on people like you. We all need to speak up more. And this is another really great example of that. In a minute, Teresa Woodruff's answer to the question that I have had ever since fourth grade sex ed class. 
You only had one question after fourth grade sex ed class? I mean, I had many questions, but this one I never really got answered. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Okay, so that question I had in sex ed class in fourth grade was, well, what was in the boys' video? Because the girls got set in one room and the boys got set in another, and we got a video about our parts, and they got a video about their parts, and I want to know what was going on over there. (laughs) Nobody ever would tell me. It's a reasonable question. (laughs) Well, Teresa's many projects include teaching medical students and high school students and kids about science and reproductive health. And lucky for all of us, she noticed something lacking in the cartoon musical sex education department. Yeah, and actually we do need more ways for people to understand these (laughs) systems. So we did just uh, publish what we call the new you. And it is um, a way for kids to actually sing through songs for puberty, for the menstrual cycle, and for anatomy. And uh, the idea is it's like um, how a bill becomes a law. We all know how it becomes a law because of schoolhouse rock. And so, yes. And I thought, you know, we really need some way that you get a song stuck in your head. And I'll tell you, if you listen to the the puberty song, it will be stuck in your head. That's puberty. Girl to a woman and a boy to a man. That's puberty. Result of interaction of a number of glands. There's a cartoon uterus, there's a cartoon ovary, there's a cartoon, there's uh, Olivia the ovary, Timothy the testis, Eva the oocyte, and, and Sammy the sperm. And the idea here is that really, because we don't have this conversation, and in fact, I think it's a real misnomer to say that we're teaching sex ed mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in uh, middle school, it is that we need to be talking about reproductive health yeah. because these kids are going through real anatomical changes, changes to their bodies that they don't necessarily understand, and really changes that the parents have a hard time talking to their kids about, in part because we've conflated that reproductive change in our bodies to that individual as a sexual being. And I want to separate that out. And I think if we do that, we're going to have better education for the kids. They're going to have better understanding of their bodies. The parents are going to be more comfortable. And then you can separate out those conversations about sexuality Mm -hmm. from the things that are happening to your body as you're going through puberty. And so puberty, menstrual cycle, and we actually tested these on kids and, and parents, and the learning was enormous. And that's because Schoolhouse Rock told us that if we get data in our head in two different or three different ways, we'll remember it. And even for the menstrual cycle, we have the boys listening to and watching the cartoons singing the song of the menstrual cycle. <laughs> that's one and of the to things. me, that's, that's awesome. really critical. Yeah. If yeah. I can understand boys and boys can understand girls, and we, again, deconvolute this notion of sex from our reproductive health, that's yeah. going to be really big. When a girl hits a certain age, a couple of years into puberty, a process begins that's a monthly cyclical flow. It's all part of maturity, a reproductive necessity, 
A three-phase cycle starting with menstruation I remember in fourth grade, <laughs> the week that was sort of sex ed, quote, mm-hmm. end, unquote. Yep. Uh, it's not even quote, unquote. That is it. Yeah. That's the way we describe it. But the girls all went into one room and watched their oh, movie, yeah. and the boys went into yeah. their room and watched their movie, and we all came out with like a sample, like a uh, maxi pad, right. and the boys all came out with a sample-sized uh, Old Spice deodorant stick. Jeez. And I remember because all the boys in fourth grade thought it was funny to just then take the Old Spice and like rub it all over everything, and so school smelled <laughs> like Old Spice for a week. Right. But heaven forbid... <laughs> We saw their movie or they saw ours right. because it's right. science, not well, and the boys, sex, the, boys the re- act of sex. That's right. And the boys reported when they watched the menstrual cycle, they're like, oh, yeah, I learned a lot from that. And yeah. in fact, in the puberty one, we talk about body smells come on yeah. come on yeah. during this time. And look, we should talk about it because yeah. that is something that changes. <laughs> and if you're really uncomfortable with your body and you're uncomfortable with this topic or you think it's somehow other or weird, it becomes other or weird. And then it becomes... Uh, something that we're unable to walk towards good decisions about how yeah. we how we talk about this. For sure. Well, boys, your penis and scrotum will begin to enlarge and your testicles are going to hang lower because they need to be a little bit cooler if they're going to make sperm. So, Teresa, I don't know if you remember, but it was probably like three or four years ago now I talked to you on the phone for a WBEZ story about... An online sex ed MOOC yep. that you had yep. started, which a MOOC is a massive online open course. So this was something that you just kind of put on the Internet so anybody could find it who right. wanted to. And I think that really fits into what we've been talking about, right. too, when it comes to sex ed as reproductive health. Right. Can you talk a little bit about what that was and why you decided to do it? Yeah. So I, uh, that that's part of what I'm calling the K to Gray so that we actually are educating across the entire life cycle continuum. So uh, the MOOC, the Massive Open Online Course, is really designed towards um, kids when they enter college. So, you know, if you really don't have good understanding of your own reproductive health going through puberty, it's unlikely you're going to get that by the time you get to college. And this is the time when people, again, think it's all about sexuality. It's about kids going to school and having sex. But in fact, it's more about kids going to school and 20% of the women having reproductive health issues, poly cystic ovary syndrome, endometriosis, things that can really alter their life course, but without even knowing it, they're not, they don't know why this pain is, is preventing them from going to school. So they drop out or those kind of things. And the other thing is I think it's really something that's very empowering to understand your own biology. And that's true for males and females. And again, demystifying it makes it less titillating. It just makes it a part of our biology. And so it's a series, a very short series of videos and questions and answers that is all free so that people can actually access it in a way that is easy for them. It's at a pace that you can come and do one of these modules whenever. Hello, my name is Teresa Woodruff, and I'm going to be your instructor for this course. My objective is to make sure that you understand reproductive health in order to enable that was really one of the main centerpieces to this larger um, reprotopia. So <laughs> I created this uh, website that's called Reprotopia, and that's a place where you can find all of these different kinds of assets. The uterus is a muscular pear-shaped organ within the female reproductive system. It is located between the rectum and the bladder. The inner lining of the uterus is called the endometrium. Sometimes we just don't know what words mean. And so if we don't know what words mean, particularly within the reproductive science world, sometimes we, we just hold those off and say, well, that must be dirty. 
Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you if kids want to actually learn something about their own reproductive health and you Google words, you get to a very unsavory part of the web very quickly. Yes. And then your mom might look at the history and say, oh, what's going on with my kid? Yeah. And in fact, if you look up Reprotopia, you can find some unsavory web things around it. And so my my hope is that at least we're there, at least we're present, and that people can more often than not find this information they need, these common terms that will allow them to then just easily answer the question. And I think the more we can make it easy and not stumble over these terminologies, I think the more people are going to be comfortable with themselves because this is really just who we are. So, Teresa, another really interesting thing that you do is you invite girls into your lab so they can see some of the work that you're doing. Why did you decide to start doing that? What's important about bringing girls especially to the lab? Uh, I've always had a passion for education. In fact, when I went to college, I wanted to be a first grade teacher. Oh, cool. So my mom was a first grade teacher. My grandmother was a teacher in the Western uh, Panhandle of Oklahoma, one-room school of all 12 grades. Uh, And so I always had a passion for teaching. But then I had this ancillary passion for science. And so part of this is really just reflecting on the fact that I think that science needs to open the doors as wide as possible to as many people as possible. Again, with this goal of not saying that everyone needs to be a scientist or a clinician, which is sometimes the goal of having uh, high school students in labs. Mm -hmm. My goal is to actually touch as many students as possible so that they say, ah, math is cool. Science is cool. And, and that's going to be, I think, the game changer that we're really looking for. And along the way, there will be kids that really want to be clinicians or really want to be a scientist. And, and those are really important to connections as well. Um, but there's a, broader, there's a broader opportunity here for all of us if, if we really just open the doors to any of our workplaces to say, what's cool about what we do? And uh, that will allow kids to really think about what their aspirations might be. Man, those songs are kind of stuck in my head. I'm going to be humming along, whistling along about ovaries, I think, for the rest of the day. Are you going to put them on your phone next to Hamilton? Yeah, it'll Just be Hamilton. in the rotation. Sammy the Sperm solo. These are the things I listen to now. Good, good. I'm glad to hear it. In just a minute, a little more homework from Teresa Woodruff. You're listening to Nerdette. And now, homework. Besides, of course, listening to the album A New You. (laughs) It's such a good title, too. Everything about it. It's so snappy and so informative. So snappy. There's a great book um, that's by Hope Yaren, and it's called Lab Girl. Yeah. And that's a that's a great book about just what it's like to be in the laboratory. And I think, you know, it, it reads well. It's an easy narrative. And so I think that's a great book. So another book that I have really enjoyed um, recently that's great homework is called um, – everybody's, I think, read Hidden Figures by now. Yes. Um, but the other book is by Dava Sobel, and it's called The Glass Universe. So where the hidden figures are the computers – the glass universe are the calculators. Oh. And so, you know, the abacus, really. Yeah, that's a nice And so women it. who were in uh, all women's schools and educated in the late 1800s, early 1900s, didn't have a place to go if they were interested in science and math. And so the astronomy lab at Harvard uh, actually 
uh, hired them. And many of them were those that made discoveries about the nature of stars and planets and solar systems. And it's really a tremendous read and opens up to all of us uh, a group of individuals whose stories were hidden, much like hidden figures. And, you know, it makes you cry, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, the fact that we didn't know. Uh, it makes you really want to work harder to make sure that every kid in the city of Chicago, no matter who they are, has access and can actually have a story that's told, that have a narrative that is one of positive next steps along the way. Um, these are really important stories for all of us to think about you know, now as well as um, those that are historical. Mm-hmm. Who are the kids today who are going to make those discoveries that are going to change our lives in the future? I want them to be our Chicago kids. I want them to be the ones that figure out how to take our microfluidic system and actually use it to really discover uh, cures for diabetes or for uh, uh, heart disease um, or for cancer. And, and I think they can do it. Uh, and these tools are just some of the ways they'll be able to do that in the future. That is so cool. Thank you so much for your work. I'm very excited to have talked to you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks again to Teresa Woodruff for sharing her story with us. You can learn more about her work at woodrufflab.org. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizet. And our new intern is Stefania Gomez. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on NPR One, or listen in the WBEZ app. And you know what else we got, which is pretty cool, is a little newsletter. So if you want some fun, hot links... Not like in a sexy way, more like in a hot dog way or something. Subscribe to our newsletter. You can do that at wbez.org slash nerdsletter. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, just, I'm just shaking my head. I'm sorry. And both the sexiness <laughs> I know. and the hot dogs. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't like it. And I'm sorry, <gasps> Trisha. Retta. <laughs> It's also super helpful if you leave us some stars on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to Bookish Person for the nice review and not into fish, I guess. <laughs> who I guess is not into fish. That might be my favorite handle. It's pretty good. I just, I think not into fish, I guess. <laughs> I like the hesitance of it. It's not like an adamant, like, hatred of fish. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I guess I'm not into it. They're a hesitant pescatarian. <laughs> You can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at Nerdette Podcast in all those places. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. I'm not into fish, I guess. I'm pretty into fish right now. (laughs) Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.